Welcome to Cover Your Eyes. Today we're talking about the movie Lethal Weapon from 1987. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Holly. So, this movie. (laughs) This movie, yes. um, I kept thinking that I can't believe this is (laughs) a movie that we're going to watch. I don't know why. (laughs) For some reason, I just felt weird about it. Because I feel like it's not a movie that we would typically choose. We don't pick, like, a lot of action movies. No. Well, Even though we just did Top Gun. But that's. Like, not really an action movie. I guess it is an action. I guess it is considered an action movie. Yeah. So our, one of our lovely, amazing patrons, Mm -hmm. John, um, is actually the one that recommended this movie. Hey, we're doing a Hollywood hunk series. Any recommendations? And it's like, who did your mom think was hot? Mm -hmm. in the 80s basically (laughs) and John said that they rented Lethal Weapon he said my mom rolled her eyes and she wasn't a fan of action movies and the first few minutes have a naked woman in it but once Mel shows up and shows his butt my mom changed her tune and watched the entire movie <laughs> with us. <laughs> Definitely an awkward moment. <laughs> Your mom likes Mel Gibson. <laughs> oh, he also mentioned, though, that uh, she doesn't like him anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, John, thanks for that recommendation. And everyone has to say that they don't like him anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah. <laughs> So we have to say, like, the obligatory disclaimer at the beginning, I guess. I know that it's annoying, but okay. Obviously, Mel Gibson turned out to be, like, an anti-Semite and Mm -hmm. maybe in general just racist. I think. I don't remember. I don't know the details. I just, to me, my impression was that he has some severe alcohol issues. He was raised basically like a fundamentalist Catholic, if you could call it that. Mm-hmm. And I think he is extremely anti-Semitic. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I am not going to say he's like evil or anything. I feel like if you're a uh, racist, don't get drunk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And go to therapy. That's my tips. If you're racist and stay off Twitter. Definitely that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So now that that's out of the way, it's 1987 and Mel Gibson hasn't done any of that shit yet that we know of. And he's just some hot dude with a crazy mullet. So we're in our time machine and that's what's happening. Exactly. (laughs) So when, uh, when, I read John's email. I thought I definitely related because this was one of this was actually one of the movies where my mom was like super into it. She was also into Danny Glover, though. So she liked both of them. I remember you said that. Good for her. Mm -hmm. It's a double feature for her. Yeah. She even told me, you know, Danny Glover is very flexible. What? Why does she know that? Because I guess he was on um, one of the late night talk shows and he did some kind of like yoga or something. Mm -hmm. And she was telling me about how he was like demonstrating how flexible he was. But I was like, oh, my God, my mom thinks this guy's really hot. Like she was like telling me excitedly. And I thought. Like, wow, this is, I'm like kind of uncomfortable right now. Yeah, (laughs) it's kind of uncomfortable, but that's good for her. So I was thinking that while I was watching it today, it was like, they put Mel Gibson in there, like shirtless a lot and Mm -hmm. nude at the beginning to like get the ladies in. And that's what happened. It worked. Because women don't want to go see an action movie typically. Mm hmm. And having him in there was just like eye candy for the ladies while the guys could watch things blowing up. So it was actually genius. And both of your moms are proof. (laughs) (laughs) Old Dick Donner. Our old friend Dick Donner. 
Okay. Now I meant to look this up, but is he the Flashdance dude? The Omen. What's the Omen? Okay. Okay. I knew it was one of them. Um, what did you think of it? Okay. Well, I guess I can go ahead and give the summary. Oh yeah. Okay, uh, first. So to summarize, I would say that this movie is about two Vietnam vet detectives. Riggs is a narc detective. I mean, a drug detective. And Roger is the homicide detective. So I guess the police were like, hey, we've got this guy who's totally out of control in the narco department. So why don't we send him over to homicide? Because they're already dealing in dead bodies. And a lot (laughs) more are going to show up when this guy gets on the scene. (laughs) Roger's like, I'm too old for this shit. They don't like each other at first. Then they like each other kind of once they find out they're both in Vietnam. They have like immediate instant uh, bonding there. Roger lists like all of the different ways in which Riggs knows how to kill people and calls him a lethal weapon. And then the main story is that there's a dead girl. That's the murder that they're investigating. Turns out it's a bunch of ex Vietnam guys who went into Laos and completely took over uh, the village where the main heroin trade was happening and they took over the whole thing uh, basically colonizing this little tiny portion of Laos so that they could sell heroin to people in the United States and The murdered girl was the daughter of one of Roger's Vietnam buddies. And she was murdered to get back at her dad. They catch the guys and everybody eats a terrible dinner that Roger's wife cooked. (laughs) And that's the story of Lethal Weapon. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Hope you liked it. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I <laughs> um am amazed because last week we were well not last week. Last week was our Patreon bonus, but mm-hmm. um, which by the way, you know what? If you guys want to go to Patreon and there's a link in our notes for some delightful treats. We got some sweet valley high going on over there. We're chatting it up, telling some murder stories. Real. We've got everything. We've got werewolves. We've got Geraldo and Satanists. We've got a a little bit of everything. It's a Mod Podge. And, you know, you can always just subscribe for a month and listen to everything. And then unsubscribe, too. Okay. Just saying. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Sure. We don't have commercials, and I would really like to keep it that way. It's it's nice. I like not having commercials. And I also like being rewarded for what we do. <laughs> <laughs> so join us on Patreon. That's cool. We don't usually talk about our Patreon. <laughs> no, we don't. I just thought, do I have issues with receiving love and affection and money? Yes. Um, and so I thought I would just boldly talk about how wonderful our Patreon is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we also really enjoy chatting with our Patreon members. Like, oh, yeah. I found that to be one of the most rewarding things about the podcast that I didn't really anticipate. Because when we started, I just sort of felt like we were having a good time. It was a like a really fun, interesting way to hang out with each other. Now we're not enjoying it anymore. And we just need money. (laughs) Now we're only in it for the money, okay? (laughs) You're hilarious. (laughs) It's like the fucking mothers of invention over here. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay, the movie. (laughs) You've peddled your wares long enough, Missy. That's right. She's cutting me off.
<laughs> I'm too um, old for this shit. <laughs> yeah, so the movie starts. Well, it starts with Mel Gibson. Or does it start with Danny? In the beginning, I, you know, it's Danny Glover's 50th birthday, and yeah. he's taking a nice hot bath in the morning, and then suddenly his like entire family bursts into the bathroom with a birthday cake to yeah. sing him happy birthday. And it's like, that's sweet, but in the bathroom, and would I ever even think of going near the bathroom while my dad was in there and especially not in the bathtub and especially like it didn't look like one of those 80s movies bubble baths with like six inches of bubbles to hide your body parts it just looked like bath time and I was like this is kind of weird I agree lovely family I love that they're close and how they relate but Mm -hmm. that was like Mm -hmm. "Mm." it's one thing like if you're like a seven-year-old but when you're a teenager Roger's daughter who's a teenager gives him a hug while he's in the bathtub. And I was like, this isn't really how my family operated. Like if, <laughs> although I do want to, I do want to put a call out to the listeners mm-hmm. that to all of you guys, that if you were like cool with that, or if your family was open in that way and there wasn't anything weird about it, I would really like to know because I know everybody grows up differently. Yeah. I mean, there may be some like super healthy family where they don't think that's weird in any way. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to know the like dynamics of your family. Mm -hmm. If that's the case. Yeah. That was the most striking scene for me in the beginning. Lethal Weapons starts off with Woody from Cheers as girlfriend, the actress, uh, Jackie Swanson. Oh, that's who that was. You know how I feel about Christmas music? Immediately, yeah. I'm irritated because it's Jingle Bell Rock. And it's like one of those like, hey, it's the 80s and we're rocking out on all these Christmas songs. There's uh, some Coke snorting. And then we got some dead lady boobs. Yeah, first on a car. lady boobs and then dead lady boobs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I yeah. thought, hated it. Gotta say. Oh, yeah, that was a bad start for you, huh? That was a real bad start. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> First, you get me with the fucking Christmas music, and then it's dead lady boob time. Mm-hmm. I know that every time I kill myself, I do it in lingerie. That's all I'm saying. I mean, you don't know when the mood strikes what you'll be wearing. Well, it wouldn't have mattered. Because she was going to die anyway, we find right. out. Because she had uh, some poison that was uh, put into some pills that she took. So I think they said drain cleaner. So that's like an homage to Heather's. Did Heather's get that from? I don't know. Oh, it was Heather's after this? <laughs> Anyways. Anyway, it's happened. connected. It's all connected. Yeah. So, yeah, it's so 80s. There's like white lace and Coke everywhere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We find out that she's that Kelly is into sex work and pornography, but they don't call it that, of course, because it's 1987. They say they make jokes like, and this is the this is good guy, family man Roger. Mm-hmm. He he says to a sex worker. All dressed up and no one to blow. And then she's like, come on, man. Yeah. It's like, hey, Roger, why don't you arrest some of the fucking guys that are paying for it? Oh, right. Eve. So, yeah, yeah, this movie is not striking me as anything that feels safe to watch thus far. Because we're like, bam, 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 hooker, hooker, hooker. That's what you hear over and over in this movie. I like the word whore, personally. (laughs) I like the word slut. Like, if somebody calls me a whore or a slut, I'm like, well, thank you. Okay. Yes, I do enjoy sex. And yes, I do have sovereignty over my body and I can do with it whatever I want. Mm -hmm. But whenever it's men calling... Women who they have in handcuffs, hookers and prostitutes. It sounds really hateful 
in this movie, the way that they say the word hooker. And Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, a word is a word. It's the meaning that people put behind the word that makes it feel gross whenever you hear it. There's been a shift to another word, uh, to sex worker, and that that's a word that the women doing the work have decided to call themselves. If we say hooker or prostitute, while we're talking about this movie, it's because of the way that it's being framed. So I also want to say that because Mm -hmm. it's a thing. Yeah, they said it so many times. I mean, they used to have a, God, what did they call that? With the cops, it was like, um, they're they're like not human or something. Whenever they would get a homicide. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. I wish I could remember what it's called. But yeah, it's like part of the reason that it's really, as far as I understand, the reason it's really important to not call people hookers or prostitutes is because those words are associated with a legal system that says those people with that label aren't human and they're not worth investigating. And all you have to do is look at the most boring serial killer in the world, Gary Ridgway, AKA the green river killer to see that that's true. I think we need to talk about Mel Gibson's butt for a minute to change. I know. I just thought we needed like an exorcism from all of this like blatant misogynistic bullshit that happens at the very beginning of this movie. A lot of it's pretty jam-packed in the beginning and then I think it eases. They try to hit us hard at the beginning. Yeah. Almost as if we're being ambushed. We were. And it worked. So then we see Mel Gibson's butt. Our introduction to Mel Gibson is like, he looks super punk rock. He gets Mm -hmm. up in the morning, he gets himself a beer, and he's like nude and he's smoking and he's drinking. And you know that this guy's got some history (laughs) and he does Mm -hmm. not give a fuck. Because the first thing he did when he woke up after he lit his cigarette was went to the refrigerator and got himself a beer. Is his future uncertain? Is the end always near? Always near. (laughs) (laughs) Jim Morrison, the doors. Okay. (laughs) Yes. So, and he like lives in a camper on the beach and he's got a dog and he's just like super juxtaposed with Danny Glover's super organized family-oriented, perfect-looking life. Little do they know, they're about to have their worlds collide. I meant to do a suicide trigger warning because it starts off with a suicide. Yes. And then um, I really enjoyed this movie way more than I thought. I was (laughs) not really expecting to enjoy it at all. I didn't think I'd hate it. Mm -hmm. I was just like, meh. But then I was actually kind of into it. We see, like... Mel Gibson, he's got, like you said, his life appears to be kind of in shambles. Like he just doesn't care. But then later we find out that it's because he is a widower and his wife was killed in a tragic car accident. And Mm -hmm. so he's just depressed. That's why he doesn't care. And he drinks all the time. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't care about his own life in danger and do wild things on the job. Mm -hmm. Because really, he just has like a death wish. Yes. And he's not always actively pursuing, but he's like, if I die, fine. Maybe I'd be better off dead. And people say things about him like, where the hell did you get him? Psychos or us? (laughs) I don't remember hearing that one. (laughs) Yeah, people say things like that. He's kind of got a rep around the office. Um, You see him do all this wild stuff and do a drug bust, and he almost gets killed then. And then he's like really shaken up about that. And then that night he goes home and he's got the picture of his dead wife, their wedding picture. And then you realize like, oh, this is why he's so sad. So, okay, we're going to talk about suicide for a minute here. Mm -hmm. This was super triggering for me because my my cousin killed himself by gunshot Mm -hmm. and then 
I've had a gun held to my head. So whenever I see like a gun to the head, I'm always like, oh, fuck. And like, let's get out of here. And you know what, though? Like, I sit with it because like what I do whenever I get triggered and it's like a physiological response where I feel I start to feel like my nervous, my sympathetic nervous system's kicking up and you know, I take deep breaths. So like I paused the movie and I took some deep breaths and I was like, this is a movie. I'm here right now in my living room working on one of the funnest projects I've ever worked on in my life. And I'm safe and I can just take some deep breaths. And that's what I try to do when I get triggered by stuff. Cause it'll just randomly happen. You know, like I could listen to people talk about suicide and I don't have that reaction. It's when I see it. I felt like that scene was very, I won't say triggering because I don't have like an incident that it could be triggered, but I can definitely see how if you did, it would be. It was jarring that scene. It seemed very like authentic and very emotional. It really drew me in. Yeah. And it made me think, Mel Gibson's actually a good actor. Well, he really was able, I mean, he really conveyed that expression of when you're battling your death instinct. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also, he was in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. So it made me wonder how much of this is his wife dying and how much of this is just him. Because later, whenever he's talking to Roger and Roger's like, dude, you're a lethal weapon. Like, you just kill everybody all the time. And he's like, well, that's the only thing I'm good at. Like, Mm -hmm. when I was in Vietnam, I was the best shot ever. And I'm good at killing people. Since we're still talking about suicide, uh, Riggs is showing that he's unhinged Roger's like hold the gun to his head yeah he Roger okay let me break this down just so you get the visual because it like happens all of a sudden so they're arguing about how reckless Roger is and I'm sorry how reckless Riggs is and then Roger just pulls his gun out And puts it to his partner's head and is like, you should just go ahead and kill yourself. Mm. So Rogers really got two strikes against him in my book. And I'm like, he's supposed to be like the cool headed good guy. Mm -hmm. But he's the one that's telling his new partner who has like clear issue, mental issues that he should just go ahead and kill himself. So clearly Roger is also extremely scarred from being in Vietnam, Mm -hmm. the war, because we didn't do it on purpose. But when we were watching American Gigolo and I made the comment that I felt like all movies from the 80s were about the Vietnam War. (laughs) (laughs) And then we picked one that's like explicitly about the Vietnam War? Yes. <laughs> I, was like, I did not realize that was a part of it. And then once I heard that, I was like, oh, God, Holly's going to love this. Because I feel like you can tie so many movies <laughs> to the Vietnam War somehow. And then this one is, yeah, it served well, on a platter for you. Well, there were 2,700,000 men and women who fought in the Vietnam War. What? From the United States. Are you serious? Yes, I looked it up today. Okay. It lasted from November of 1955 till April 30th of 1975. Mm-hmm. So that was like, oh my gosh. So that was only 12 years before this movie. Exactly. Wow. Mm-hmm. And And that's why they could have such large age differences and both have served. Because I was like, man, one of them must have been super young when they went in. But then it's like, no, wait, it lasted for 20 years. Yeah. So, wow. And uh, 
58,220 people died. Awful. In the war from the U.S. And millions were scarred. Yes. Not to mention when the soldiers came home and they were treated not great. And when you have PTSD, it changes your personality and it affects the people around you. So that just like spread the effects of that just spread out when, when the soldiers came home. And the other thing I was thinking about with this movie in particular was that it's kind of like the greatest generation as they like to be called. Um, They, you know, they're world war two vets and they just had this like culture of silence in raising their children. And so, but I also feel like the baby boomers in the fifties, you know, as they're growing up, they have like the cushiest lives of any, anybody in the United States, like before or after the image that is given is that you guys don't understand what we went through. And there's, and I'm not saying any of this is conscious. I just feel like if I want to psychoanalyze a whole generation of people, which is super scientific, I would say that underneath it all, there's a very strong resentment of parents to their children of you need to suffer in the same ways we did. And that will make you a real man because right now you're too soft. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because, you know, I heard older people who had served in World War II talking about like, why are you guys complaining? Like, this is what we do. We go to war. We had to do it. So you guys better suck it up and go do it too. I just feel like whenever you have a whole generation of people that were served up on a platter by their parents to be slaughtered, you're going to get a backlash. And the backlash is don't trust authority. Breaking the rules is great because when you follow the rules, you end up dead in Vietnam and our parents betrayed us. Mm. So the only people we have to rely on are ourselves. Does that set us up for the culture of narcissism that has occurred? You know, I don't know, but uh, it seems like it. And one thing that I found very interesting uh, with the Vietnam War and there's a theme in Lethal Weapon of men crying and that it's valid manly behavior for a man to cry. And someone even comments that like, it's the eighties now men can cry. These guys are macho, but they're still expressing themselves emotionally. So I felt like in some ways that balanced out the very beginning of the movie for me. Yeah. One of the police um, officers says, we aren't tough anymore. We're sensitive. We show our emotions around women and shit. That's the eighties man. (laughs) So the Vietnam connection is like what leads them to be really involved in this case. They, one of the people that not Riggs, Roger served with was, um, it was his daughter who was murdered slash committed suicide. And then he says like, Roger, you owe me a favor. So something that happened back in Vietnam I'm sure that he ended up saving Roger's life or something. So mm-hmm. now he's like, you owe me a favor and you've got to find who killed my daughter and kill them all. But then later it turns out like, wait, he knows that it's related to people that he knows and the organization that he's with. Shadow company. The shadow company. Yeah, because he runs a bank. And so he's like the perfect thing for them to launder Our- their money. Yes. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's money laundering. His daughter is like the innocent victim of his crimes. 
So here's another issue I have is I feel like daughters in this movie are up for grabs as a way to punish the men. And, you know, we see this in a war time when soldiers strategically use raping women and children as a way to demoralize the men that they're fighting, a.k.a. destruction of property. Mm. And so it was interesting to me that that happened in Vietnam, as we all know, and that it's happening now and that the guys that are the shadow company still use that tactic of punishing the men they're fighting through their women. You're right. So I was like, is that a statement about the horrors of war? Like, because they brought home uh, the shadow company, they bring home the tactics of the Vietnam War. The shadow company, we find out, which, by the way, if you're called the shadow company, like, what are you doing? (laughs) How did you name that? (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, They ran the people that were bringing the heroin, the heroin organization that was native to Laos. They ran them out under the guise of we're protecting you guys. No, really. And then they killed everybody that was in that organization, which was sanctioned by the United States government. And then they took over the heroin trade. And then they're distributing the heroin to the United States. So this is interesting too, because we had a lot of Vietnam vets who came back to the United States with terrible heroin addictions. Mm -hmm. So, so they already have a built-in clientele. And the other thing I was thinking about, because we were were watching Better Call Saul, and Mm -hmm. I was thinking about uh, this within the context of that show, because Basically, you've got like these psychopathic, malignant, malignantly narcissistic people running these drug cartels, right? And then they are selling drugs to people who have been severely traumatized and wounded by sociopath, psychopathic malignantly narcissistic people that are in their lives. And the only way they know how to deal with it is to self-medicate with things like heroin or crystal meth. And I'm like, wow, this is interesting because it's the same model for corporate America, which is we're going to scare the shit out of you. And then we're going to sell you stuff and say that you'll feel safe You'll feel loved. You'll feel wanted if you just buy this thing. Because you know what? You're ugly. You smell bad. And you just fucking suck, dude. Love corporate America. (laughs) You're on a tear. And I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. So I was like, wow, that really connects back into this movie. Yeah. (laughs) As I snort my coke. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't do drugs. It's just because we're talking about 80s movies. You have to talk about coke. So I wonder also if that's why the helicopter played so prominently in this movie, because you always associate that footage of the helicopters with Vietnam. And it's like, they use it all the time for things that seem like, do you really need a helicopter for this? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It was it was like it was recreating the sounds and the associations of the war. The Vietnam War, it like brought back the veterans. And I'm not blaming Vietnam vets at all for this. I'm just observing it as a as a trend that, you know, there's a distinct shift in our media 
during and after the war. And that distinct shift is a shift towards death, destruction, and violence Mm -hmm. in the media. And it's almost like, you know, the men, the men and women who were in Vietnam, it's like they brought back a desensitized palate where death was no longer as horrific or maybe it was still horrific, but they were just numb to it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it, it kind of like came back at, with everyone and it started to be expressed more through movies and television. And a lot of times explicitly with the backdrop of being a Vietnam vet, like Magnum PI In particular, uh, the A team. That's right. It's not surprising the cultural landscape of media became more violent. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Oh, also with the shadow with the shadow company. Hmm. Okay, so they come into an area, they kill all of the native people there. And then they plunder the environment for whatever natural resource they can find to send back to another people and make a bunch of money off of it. Is Dick Donner an anarchist? I don't know, but I'm going to look into him. It's like thus far, he totally dissed the Catholic Church with the omen. And now he's dissing the United States with lethal weapon, but he's doing it in such a way that he's selling it to the American public because they are thirsty for anarchy. There are a couple times when like maybe future glimpses of Mel Gibson come through in this movie. And whenever they're talking, like he uses, you know, the word hooker a lot, which I mean, in the 80s, people did. But they're in an explosion. (laughs) He's on fire. Roger, Danny Glover, is getting over him to, like, get on top of him and beat the flames out. And then he's like, what are you, an F word or something? Hmm. The F-A-G blank blank O-T word. And he's like, no, I'm trying to put out the fire that's on your back. Calm down. And it's like, okay, take it easy. Um, you know, sometimes we get through an 80s movie without that word being in it, but not yeah. this time. Yeah. And then another point when they're trying to figure out what happened to the girl at the beginning, who was a sex worker and the other sex worker had witnessed her fall. They were like trying to figure out how were they together? And then they determined someone else had been in the bed with her before she jumped or fell. And then Roger's like, it could have been Dixie, the other girl. And then Riggs is like, that's disgusting, but it is possible. <laughs> and I was like, okay, calm down. Yeah, really. Plus, like, I would think in any 80s movie, a guy would be like, oh, yeah. Right. Be like, high five over it. But see, I guess they were also with that kind of showing his character as being like a dedicated husband. That, like, he I wouldn't guess. think that was hot because he's, like, a committed heterosexual. Okay. <laughs> um, so other issues that this movie touches on. It touches on a lot. Suicide, mental health, drug abuse, sex work, Vietnam War, colonization. Bad So cooking. many things. Bad cooking because it's the 80s and the woman's cooking is always a topic. It has to be a topic of conversation. And it's usually about it being bad. That's just like a running. (laughs) I don't know. Like every director's mom was maybe a bad cook and it was like a running joke in their family. So they put it in. I don't know. But it's like, all right, we get it. Mm -hmm. She sucks at cooking. Which you know what? If they didn't make it like he didn't cheat on her because of it. So that's good. That's true. So he's he's a great guy. Sure. (laughs) He deserves five stars yeah. for putting up with bad food and not having sex with someone else. Man of the year. <laughs> That's pretty much like the message <laughs> that we've gotten over 
the course of the movies we've watched so far. Absolutely. So also in this movie, they touch on the issue of legalizing marijuana. His daughter brings it up and they bring up the point of like, she got in trouble because she smoked weed in the house, which is like ballsy for a 15 or 16 year old or whatever. And then, so she got grounded, but they didn't make a huge deal of it, which seemed kind of progressive for a cop dad in the eighties. And then she's like, okay, um, so you guys are out here drinking a six pack, but you can't smoke weed. And then Riggs is like, she's right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, people get super altered on alcohol on a daily basis and become violent. And we all know, we all already know this, but it's like, yeah, why is that fine? Because it is a way to, you'll notice that the things that became illegal were all drugs that could potentially get you into connection with your spirit and your own sovereignty as a human being with a soul like and PCP? connecting you yeah like pcp <laughs> cocaine no but like you yeah. know like weed like marijuana and hallucinogens mm-hmm. they have very significant mental and spiritual values when mm-hmm. used responsibly and people started saying things like make love not war but the problem with that is when you make love and not war you don't spend any fucking money and we're back to corporate america this goes all the way to the top floor it does go all the way to the top fucking floor also i'm not a conspiracy theorist so i'm not saying anything like that i thought the soundtrack to this was absolute trash i don't even highly offensive to my ears okay um i noticed in the beginning that eric clapton was listed on the soundtrack and i was like oh man that should be something that's like a huge deal in 87, especially, but then I didn't pay any attention to the songs. It's definitely not a top gun. You don't have Kenny Loggins in the eighties. Forget your soundtrack. Just throw it in the garbage. (laughs) Don't waste your money. Also, Eric Clapton was in the throes of severe alcohol addiction in the eighties, which is another reason I brought up this point because and he was also addicted to cocaine. I'm sure because he yes. did that cocaine cocaine song, uh-huh, uh-huh. which I sang in fourth grade while we were in line by the chalkboard <gasps> and swipe right. my fingers through the chalk dust and yes. sang cocaine. cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> then our teacher heard me, <laughs> and then it's like my parents are so straight laced. <laughs> they're probably what does the teacher think when something like that happens <laughs> just because my dad is an Eric Clapton fan <laughs> yeah, I'm just I mean, trying to put myself in that spot and be like yeah. I saw a fourth grader do that would I call like DCFS right now <laughs> probably whenever they were at the scene of the explosion where Dixie was killed because she knew too much as well after Mel Gibson accused Danny Glover of being homosexual just for trying to put the fire out on his back then they go to talk to this little group of kids who witnessed it and they had some information so they're danny glover and riggs go to talk to him and they're like hey guys can you answer some questions for us and the little kids are like mama says that um cops shoot black people mom says that cops shoot black people and they like won't talk to him and i was like White America was not talking about this issue in 1988. For it to be in this movie, like it's a bold statement in mm. 1988. Ahead of its time, even though I it mean, wasn't. Yeah, It's just like, we're still talking about it as if it's like new. Right when uh, Roger and Riggs are together and they're, they get, they catch Dixie's pimp. And Roger's like, you can't fucking kill this guy. Like, we need him to talk. And he's like, no killing. He Roger specifically says this to Riggs. No killing. And I was like, okay, so the black cop is telling the white cop not to kill the suspects. So mm-hmm. I just, you know, that like reinforced 
what the little boys were saying later of like, well, our mom told us that cops kill black people. Mm. So it's Mm -hmm. definitely in the air of this movie. Yeah, really there's a lot of like social commentary buried within this action mm-hmm. film um, and mental health. So the other thing we were talking about, Mel Gibson's struggles with suicidal thoughts. And then he says like, they basically all think he's faking. Mm-hmm. So he was telling Danny Glover or Roger like, I'm either suicidal or I'm faking it to get a psycho pension either way I'm fucked and so it's like yeah neither of those are good options you know and no one's being sensitive to him in any way (laughs) except the psychologist who's trying to like vote for him and be like this guy's on the edge and then Mm -hmm. the captain was just like well I guess if he kills himself then we'll know you were right and then Mm -hmm. he's like slams the door well that's nice well you know that parallels how the greatest generation world war ii vets told their sons that you just have to suck it up we went through this you can go through it and when the men came back from the vietnam war when the boys came back from the vietnam war it was like You don't have PTSD. That's not a thing. Look, we all went through World War II, the worst war in the world, and we're just fine. Be a real man. The captain's kind of like the stand-in for the baby boomers' fathers. Yeah. So this is in our Hollywood Hunks series. (laughs) And then so some people might find it controversial to consider Mel Gibson a hunk still. Um, because of his thing. So I just wanted to say that for me, the real hunk is Gary Busey. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he's played Buddy Holly. Uh, Oh my God, that's right. I always forget. And then you tell me, I was thinking like, he doesn't look that bad in this movie. Like he's before the whole wild eyed. Well, he had, he had a traumatic brain injury. Wait, what? Yeah, okay, he was in a, bad. Yeah, he was in a motorcycle accident. Have you and, told me this? Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't think, think so. Okay, Maybe. I feel bad. Well, I, I mean, <laughs> I think I think that in combination with probably self trying to self soothe with drugs and alcohol, mm-hmm. you know, and and you get the Gary Busey of the last whatever how many years you know? wow mm-hmm. okay that explains some things but i okay. remember people thinking gary Busey was really handsome back in the 80s are you thinking of nick nolte though oh my i get God. them mixed up i'm totally thinking of nick nolte because <laughs> i get them mixed up too <laughs> that's exactly what i'm thinking Funny. Of. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, I didn't really, I didn't find any hunks in this movie. <laughs> like, at all. <laughs> there were no hunks <laughs> to be found. <laughs> I mean, Mel Gibson was cute, obviously, like, at the time. I was never like super into him, but I remember being like, he's cute. And obviously he was like physically fit. Whenever we're like introduced to Mel Gibson and to Riggs and he's drinking and smoking in the morning and he's shirtless, or I guess he's like completely nude or whatever. Yeah. Um, He's wearing a shirt with no bottoms. Like Donald Duck. (laughs) (laughs) that's from a movie but i can't remember what (laughs) (laughs) i can see how women were gaga for him Mm -hmm. in this particular scene even though i wasn't like attracted to him i was like oh okay i kind of get this i understand finding danny glover 
attractive uh-huh. more than I do Mel Gibson. <laughs> and not in this movie, because I actually don't like Roger's character very much at all. Right. Just, you know what? I feel like my mom was on to something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I guess I'd have to go with Danny Glover as the Hollywood hunk in this one. Sorry, Gary. I prefer him with the beard as well. So he shaved it because he thought it made him look older. And then when he got to work, they're like, you look older now that you shaved. And he was like, man. <laughs> this movie had some like ageism towards men in it, which is like rare. Oh my God. You know what? I take that back completely. Okay. What? I did have a Hollywood hunk in this movie, but you <laughs> really didn't, you didn't see him, but you heard him. And that is Alex Trebek. The host of Jeopardy. Oh. Who you hear in the background. <laughs> That's awesome. He was cute and he looked the same for like ever. When I was in like junior high and high school, I would watch that show because I thought he was cute. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> he was cute. He looked very just like well-groomed and curls in all the right places. He was, and he was smart, which you like the brains. I like my man to be smarter than me. That's easy. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And you like your friends to be meaner than you. <laughs> That's easy. <laughs> Whew, I just went back to my high school. Okay. So oh, the other thing I was going to say is Darlene Love plays the wife and she sings. So... Briggs comes to their house for dinner and then the daughter who's what probably like 15 or 16 or something mm-hmm. is just like staring at him the whole time and the whole family can tell that she's got a crush on him and he doesn't say anything or like really acknowledge it and then the other little kids at the table and teasing her about it and her dad looks at her and sees what's going on and he's like go get something out of the other room like get away from this table and then she calls him she calls Riggs by his first name and then her dad's like call him Mr. Riggs it's like everyone can see but I feel like he handled it well it wasn't really ever an issue Mm -hmm. and I feel like if my dad brought someone that looked like Adam to the table I would have been also wanting to be flirting with him yeah when I was a teenager not like openly flirting with him but I would just like think he was cute you know what I mean mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then I would be like trying to hide it but it would probably be obvious to other people mm-hmm. so I'd be like this person's so cute and they're sitting so close to me and they're in my house and then while they're at the table the other little kids start like rapping and teasing the sister in a rap and then they make the dad rap I feel like the movie could have done without it like it wasn't necessary but I do feel like at least they didn't make it where Riggs was like toying with her emotions or flirting back like he basically just didn't even acknowledge it and the family acknowledged it and was like embarrassed and like come on stop doing this and I didn't think it was that bad I feel like Riggs is just being polite and sort of like holding space for her crush without engaging it's like with this fine line of being because you don't want to you don't want to shame a kid yeah and kids are easily shamed especially around when they think somebody's cute or they crush mm-hmm. so you don't want to shame them but you don't want to encourage it you can't get more explicit than somebody making the statement like if you're an adult you can't fuck teenagers mm-hmm. <laughs> that was good <laughs> yay richard donner um yeah so I feel like they really lured me in this is about Mel Gibson's mental health emotion journey and then I was like oh so it made me just like see the whole movie in a different light that I never really realized before and I kind of thought of it all that way so it made me more like open and receptive to it and then the action stuff yeah it's like Meh, whatever I'm not super into it and uh, kind of at the end, you just kind of fade out when it gets all actiony. I'm just like, all right, it's, are we done yet? Right. Um, but then, and then the very last scene. So they're finally like bringing um, Gary Busey, Mr. Joshua, to justice after they've gotten pretty much every of the other, every one of the other bad guys. 
And he had killed like multiple police officers and threatened Danny Glover's daughter. And so it comes down to just like mano imano Riggs versus Joshua Mel Gibson versus Gary Busey. And it turns into mud wrestling because they'd run into a fire hydrant and they're mud <laughs> wrestling in the front yard. And I was like, this again is for the women. <laughs> so Lots of mud wrestling. Yeah. Call back to stripes. Yes. <laughs> so I was like, that's cool. He's totally just using Mel Gibson for eye candy. Because the women are like ready to go. This movie's been too long. And then they like bring you back in with shirtless muddy Mel Gibson. Yeah. (laughs) And then they're doing like a death match and he's using all of his like lethal weapon skills, like his Tai Chi and those things that he's learned. And then he's got Gary Busey in like a headlock Mm -hmm. with his thighs. (laughs) And I was thinking like, I'd be really scared to have Gary Busey's (laughs) teeth that close to my genitals. Like he was really taking a risk. But it paid off because he won. And then they're going to let him go alive. Um, he's And then Gary Busey's getting handcuffed. And then he finds a way to get a gun from the cop that's handcuffing him. And then both Riggs and Rogers shoot at him at the same time. They kill him together. So then it's like they're definitely partners for life now. It's like they killed their Vietnam mm. War ghosts through this whole case yeah dealing with this shadow company yes if we played a drinking game where we took a shot of booze every time someone died in this movie Mm -hmm. we would be in the hospital (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's who's up for a drinking game (laughs) don't do it (laughs) yeah don't do that Um, yeah. Oh, okay. This was something, this is like a throwback to an uncover that you did. Mm -hmm. Um, so in the very beginning of the movie, when we see the girl who's about to die and she's like naked wearing white lace and like writhing around, sucking on her giant long red fingernails. And it's like, she's looking at something that's not there, like interacting with something that's not there in a very sexual way. And then yeah. I was like, is this ghost sex? Oh my God. What if she had ghost sex? Maybe she had ghost sex. And then what the ghost if- got inside of her uh-huh. and told her to kill herself. I feel like that's an unexplored angle. Yeah. Wow. Rewatch that and uh, yeah, have ghost right. sex in your mind and you'll be like, yeah. oh my God. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, that Anyways. was our spectrophilia special. Yeah, that's the technical name. Yeah. Spectrophilia special. Um, there was an amazing banana clip in there. I've been really thinking about bringing banana clips back. And then I saw mm-hmm. awesome at the store the other day. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do it. It's just so easy. You get a formal do instantly. <laughs> <laughs> and they're going to come back. <laughs> it's the ease. I did have some tiny bits of lethal weapon trivia. Nice. (laughs) Let me pull it back up. The first one was, did you know that they originally wanted Bill Murray to play Riggs? (laughs) I just just took a drink of coffee and almost spit it out. great thank you so much for that (laughs) somehow I wasn't expecting it you weren't it was great (laughs) okay but I do have this little bit which is like I thought of this um in the beginning so it starts out as a Christmas movie but it's action and I didn't remember this being Christmassy so then I was like ooh, like die hard like everyone says die hard is a Christmas movie Mm -hmm. and I'm like I finally just watched it like a year or two ago. Dan mm-hmm. got me to watch it to be like, look, it is. Mm-hmm. I still say it's not. Well, but okay, it, that's it is, another this movie. Is. Yeah, totally. Lethal Weapons, a Christmas movie too. No, yeah, says how that. come it doesn't get that billing? No, you know why? Because of Riggs' butt. 
Nobody um, cares about Christmas. Okay. It's all about the money shots. Mm-hmm. I think we should start the campaign to make this the new Christmas movie. I'm just going to start rudely <laughs> correcting people when they yeah. bring up Lethal Weapon. You mean a Christmas movie? You mean that Christmas movie, <laughs> Lethal Weapon? Yes. I think we it's only it. fair. It's a Christmas movie, okay? Exactly. Like that? <laughs> yeah, that's how people are about Die Hard. I know. <laughs> exactly. We're doing it. Um, but seriously, they did consider Bruce Willis for this role and then oh also him for the other role. And they're one year apart. Where, did they consider Mel Gibson for Die Hard? Yeah, yeah. They mm-hmm. did? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was considered to play McLean along with his co-stars from the Expendables. Bill Murray was first offered the role of Die Hard in 1985. <laughs> <laughs> but he turned it down. At which point production stalled. <laughs> um what was it? There was one thing. Oh, Mel Gibson turned down roles in The Fly and The Untouchables to make this movie. Was he gonna be Kevin Costner's character in The Untouchables? I don't know. I don't have those details. I was thinking of asking if this should be considered a Christmas movie like Die Hard is. Mm-hmm. Or I was going to ask, have you ever um, brought your dad a cake while he's in the bathtub? <laughs> That's what I really want to know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Have you ever brought your dad anything while he was in the bathtub or even mm-hmm. been outside the door while he's in the bathtub? Because none of that. Also, I would like to know if you've ever had a crush on one of your parents' friends. Oh, like stories about yeah. crushes on parents, friends. Yeah, I remember. Um, I might have told the story. I might have told every story by now. I don't even remember. So bear with me. So. But <laughs> when I was little, like probably seven or eight, maybe a little older, my dad's friend had a friend and they would always like work on cars together and stuff. And one of them was like younger than my dad and his friend. And I thought he was so cute. He had like blonde hair, which was like, and like a tiny mustache, total eighties looking like what you would expect. His name was like Scotty. And I thought he was so cute. He was like probably in his twenties or thirties. And I was just like, "Mm, Scotty. And I remember like, having a crush on him but he was always like like really sweet but nothing weird and I think I even like sat on his lap before like I was mm-hmm. working it like that's messed up <laughs> <laughs> like they would all be outside together so I was never like alone with them or anything yeah. but I would just be like and I'm it's like obviously I'm sure they all knew and they yeah. just thought it was cute and funny and mm-hmm. let me do my thing <laughs> yeah as disgusting as this is, I have heard people be like, well, she was flirting with me, like about oh a God. child or yeah. a teenager. And it's like, yes, and you're the fucking adult. So that means you hold the space of no, because it's a child. It's a problem when adults interpret the child's natural exploration of sexual boundaries as an invitation to exploit those boundaries. And that's 100% on the adult. So if you've ever had a crush on your parents' friend, tell us about it. Hopefully it didn't get weird. Tell us about it at copyrightspodcast at gmail.com. Oh, I never looked up that song Darlene Love saying, were you oh, going to you know what? <laughs> she does it. Actually, you know what? Just to add the further, Christmas song. She does a lot of Christmas songs. I thought so. Yeah. Which is, um, just, um, is that why she's in this movie? Because it's a Christmas movie. One of her most popular songs is our favorite Christmas song, A Marshmallow World. Are you serious? Yeah, it's a uh, number four oh. on Spotify of her most popular. Oh, neat. Her most popular is Today I Met the Boy I'm Gonna Marry. <gasps> oh my God, I love that song. 
And then the next one is Christmas, baby, please come home. Yes, I knew it was a good one. Winter Wonderland, a marshmallow world. Man, she's all good. alone on Christmas. Those are the top her top five songs on. Yeah, those top two are so good. Everyone should listen to them. Aw. Over on Patreon, we are talking about the classic Christopher Pike novel spellbound i can't wait that was the lethal weapon episode it really went all over the place i don't even know where we are anymore so i hope you enjoyed it we enjoyed making it thank you for listening if you like it you can rate review and subscribe thank you um what else we love to hear from you regardless of whether or not you want to support us on patreon we love you Bye. We love you. Thank you. Yes. See you next Tuesday. All right. See ya next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to Cover Your Eyes podcast. <laughs> That's Australian.